Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So today I am doing 10 questions with a person in recovery and I am here with Lauren Lolo. Um, Lolo, introduce yourself. Say hi to everybody. Hi, I'm Lauren. So if anybody hasn't watched the 10 questions format, basically we sent out uh, to people in recovery, family members, people not in recovery. Hey, if you had an opportunity to talk to somebody who was in recovery, what are some questions you would want to ask them? Sure. And we got about a bank of about 40 questions and then we put them all together and we put them on a, I don't know, MailChimp or one of those things where people could vote on it. And then we took our top 10 questions and that's how we came up with these. So, Lauren, why don't you give us just like a, I don't know, let's go through the questions and eh, I don't know, what do you want to do first? Like a mini testimony first and then questions or questions and then a mini testimony? I think the questions might cover part of my testimony, so that'll help. Okay. So, question number one, Lauren, why did you start using to begin with? I started using when I was in the early years of high school to cope with a breakup and addiction had been something that I was around my whole life and it seemed that it was easily controllable. It seemed that it was just what people did and that it was socially acceptable because it was in my home. So I thought I'd try that and it got a hold of me. So how long were you with that person? 10 years. And then you broke up and that's when your use started? Oh, no, no. To A um, couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was asking. <laughs> I was like, oh, 10 years, that makes it. No. So after, so you hurt so bad, well, young love. I was so young. I was 15. Yeah. Gosh, it's amazing how much stuff hurts yes. when you're a kid. That when you grow up, you're like, really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was with him for two weeks and he sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you finally started uh, looking at ways to, to quit, uh, what was it? What was that that made you decide to stop? Honestly, having a little bit of sobriety time under my belt because I was in prison and my brain starting that healing process and having the memories of the things that I not only went through, but my kids went through because of my addiction was enough to fuel me to quit. But I had to be sat down and given the time to think about it because if if I were to try to do it on my own, honestly, I was at a point to where I would have just kept using to cope with the thoughts and the memories. Okay. So you said kids. How many kids do you have? Three. How old are they? Seven, eight, and nine. Oh, wow. Just ding, 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 ding. Yes. Oof. I met those kids too. They're cute. They are cute. I know. I saw you've been doing some stuff with them, like fishing lately and mm-hmm. very, very cool. It's good to have that relationship, especially with everything going on right now. Right. It's it's good. It's slow process, but it's happening. And I guess, I mean, let's talk about, well, man, I, I probably should have started this off a little bit differently. Just what do you do and uh, how long have you been in recovery right now? I'm 20 months sober, and I'm a manager in one of the houses for New Beginnings. I have been that since October 
In December, I got a job with Burl Behavioral Health as a certified peer specialist. So I work with kids who are 12 through 25 going through substance abuse issues. So are you part of the TREE grant then? I am. Okay. What does TREE stand for? I've always wondered. Treatment Recovery Enhancements and something else. Sounds amazing. Yes. How long have you worked there? Since December. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid acronyms. (laughs) Yes. I get it. Um... So, 20 months, and then New Beginnings, you said that's a recovery residence, right? It is. Okay. It's a year-long sober living program that literally helped me learn how to build my own foundation. So, it's great. So, a lot of structure. A lot of structure. Good. Maybe that's something we should do a podcast on. I haven't done a podcast on recovery residences. I got you. And you guys are NAR accredited too, correct? We are. We are NAR certified, and we... Honestly, I'm, I do have a bias, but I believe we're the best one around. I mean, we we are kind of... Like in the United States, the world, abs- Southwest Missouri, Missouri. All of it. All of it. We're, we're a strict program, but we're strict for a reason. We're strict because we care. We have rules we want you to follow, but it's because we love you. Yeah, there's something to be said for structure and consistency, yes. I think. So... Alrighty then. So yeah, I should have started off with that just a little bit at least. You know, what do you do and how long have you been on this side of your chaotic substance use? 20 months. That's awesome. Thanks. So question number three, what does recovery mean to you? Freedom and submission at the same time. Explain that. That's conundrum right there. It is. It is. Um, I am finally free from myself, free from everything I put myself through, free from addiction because I submitted to, I submitted to following laws. I submitted to following rules. I submitted to following the guidelines that the Bible and God and society have put into place for me. I follow the 10 commandments. I wear my seatbelt. I do what I'm told and life is easier. Wearing your seatbelts one of the Ten Commandments? No, I did not know it's that. It's a societal law. Oh, okay. My bad. You said I follow the Ten Commandments. I and wear my seatbelt, so I thought, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I must not know the commandments. I didn't even know they had cars back then. That's the Eleventh Commandment: Thou shalt wear your seatbelt. <laughs> or did they like fasten them on their camel? Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it sounds like your recovery is faith-based. Yes. Okay. So, question number four, what were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? And you kind of touched on that a little bit. I did. I tried recovery on my own a lot. I tried recovery with the help of friends and family a couple times. The longest was two and a half years that I stayed recovered on my own, and I relapsed. Um, Do you mind my asking what triggered that recurrence of use? No, I was working at a nursing home on a overnight shift. I was working 2 p.m. to 6 a.m. shifts. And my boss walked down the hallway and said, you look tired. I said, I am tired, it's two in the morning. And he said, do you want a rail? And I said, you know, I'm in recovery. Like, that's not funny. He said, no, I've got, a, I've got some lines cut out in the break room, let's go. Moved in with him like three weeks later and relapsed hard. It's sad the way some people use drugs to gain relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I've noticed that a lot. And I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that you had somebody in a place that should have been safe, like a workplace. Well, it. I'm not, I appreciate that. But now whenever I have kids or girls in my house, kids at work, girls in my house come up to me and say, I had this person approach me with this and this is what happened. I can say, hey, I've been there, but we can come out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, I said a safe place, but honestly, is there really a safe place from people that are misusing Absolutely drugs and alcohol? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. So I don't think there is any place safe. It's amazing sometimes when I've gone to things that I thought should be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone to like a, a fundraiser for uh, recovery houses that had an open bar. And first thing people did as soon as they walked in was head straight to the bar. And I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Right. You know, to me, I felt like a complete hypocrite being at something. So since then, I know there's been a couple of places I've even been asked to talk at where when I found out that they had liquor, that they had open bars there, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to come. I, do, I don't, I, I know people can drink uh, in moderation. I have mm-hmm. friends that don't have drinking problems, but if I'm going to come to a place representing recovery and it's supposed to be a recovery event, I don't think that that's helpful, you know. I think it passes the wrong message. It does. And one thing that I'm really grateful for that A Better Life in Recovery has taught me and New Beginning Sanctuary has taught me is that one of the things that can help but is not always key because it's not 100% is changing your people, places, and things. You can, but like you said, you can go to something that is focused on recovery and somebody's going to be there who's not so focused. Um, Nancy Hall, actually, she allows us to have overnights um, twice a month once we're past a certain point in the housing rules and she lets you make your own mistakes but cares enough to try to keep you from them which is something I love so one night I said Nancy I have this opportunity to go do a music video with a band a local band I love named called Troy and she said is that a good idea and I said well Nancy just because you know there's not going to be people there that are sober it doesn't mean I'm going to use it'll be a good test and she said I'm going to approve your overnight but I'm also trusting you And I didn't understand until I was getting ready, and I thought to myself, man, I'm going to be tired. What kind of person wants to stay up until 2 a.m.? I asked myself that question, and Nancy's voice in my head answered me, Lauren, what kind of person stays up till 2 a.m.? I texted her, and I said, I'm not doing this overnight. Yeah, it does happen. I think, I mean, we've had people that have done overnights to go on some of the float trips, you Mm -hmm. know, and we've had some people that have gone back out at the float trips. I mean, it can happen, unfortunately, even if it's a sober event. Right. You know, I I heard a pastor once say, uh, me sitting in church no more makes me a Christian than me standing in my garage makes me a car. Sure. You know, and I feel that way about sobriety, too. Uh, Me, you know, being at a recovery event doesn't mean I'm sober. In fact, I, I would argue that I've seen a lot of people that I've met through recovery support groups that were abstinent but didn't have a lick of recovery to them. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I think there's a huge difference between being abstinent and recovery. In fact, I know people that use a moderation that probably have better uh, recoveries than people that are abs than some of the people that are abstinent. Right. You know. So, wow, we got way off the questions there, but that's kind of like what we do. That's I what guess. we do. High Woo! High five. <laughs> I'm the same way with Josh. Now we have to disinfect our hands because you know, <laughs> COVID. Um. So in early recovery, what helped you maintain your sobriety the most? In early recovery, uh, I hate to keep bringing it up, but I spent the first nine months of my recovery in prison. And there, I did have opportunity to use, but like it, it passed through my hand one time, actually, if I recall correctly. And what, what kept me sober was I did not want to come down again. My best friend asked me the other day, she has to wake me up sometimes in the morning because I have a problem. And she said, Lauren, get up, get out of bed. Don't fall back asleep. Who likes to wake up twice? Nobody. It's going to suck the first time. Don't go back to sleep. And it was kind of the same thing. Who wants to come down twice? Who wants to get clean twice? I did it once. 
And in the beginning, I just had to remember I did it. It's done. I'm clean. I don't want to do it again. So what were your drug or drugs of choice, just out of curiosity? Methamphetamine. Methamphetamine? Methamphetamine. It started with pills, pain pills of any kind. And I hate to say, I always used to say meth saved me from pills. <laughs> but I honestly went from one to another. One lost its shine and the other just grabbed me. Yeah. Yeah, and coming off of meth is n- no joke. No. Either. It can be rough because it, you, uh, what it does, what meth does, which I'm sure you're familiar with this, but one of the things it does is it causes these huge release of like dopamine Mm -hmm. and it actually releases so much dopamine. It can destroy dopamine receptors, but eventually your brain gets this message. Hey, we don't need to make dopamine anymore because we have too much of it. So now all of a sudden, while most people say function at a higher level, Say most people function at 100%, you're at 20%. And the only way that you can feel close to normal is when you use. And help me out, The Unbroken Brain by... Uh, Maya? Yes, it's Maya. That, that book, I read it in prison, and that helped me my recovery so much. Because once I realized what happens in my brain when I use, what happens when in my brain when I stop, I realized that it's going to take time. There's going to be a time period where I am not happy. So again, The Unbroken Brain would be an amazing book to pick up if you want to understand better what happens in your brain when you are actively using. Right. Yes. If I had to learn that without the substance, there was going to be a period of time where I was miserable, and that's a chemical thing. It's not something that I needed to fix by putting more chemicals in my body. In order for it to balance, I had to leave it alone. And if I hadn't known that, I would have never left alone. I would have tried to balance it. And what sucks is, I mean, it can take it can take a year, it can year and a half for, especially with meth, because of the destruction of the dopamine receptors. Because your brain has to rebuild dopamine receptors and then replenish the supply of dopamine. So it can take like twelve to eighteen months with meth. Where most drugs, it's more around that six month period, yep. I think. So, or at least that's my education on it. So, but yeah, uh, once again, if this is something we want to learn about, uh, Unbroken Brain, great book. Um, because I think it is important to know, you know, because we can be prepared for it if we know what to expect. You have to know that your weakness isn't happening because you're a weak person or because you can't handle what's about to happen. That's, that's what helped me. And number six, what is the most important thing you've done for your recovery? Help others. I know recovery is a selfish process. I think you have to grasp that. And in the beginning, you have to focus on helping yourself and only yourself. If someone asks for a handout or a hand up and you're new to recovery, you really have to keep your hands to yourself at first. But I've liked turning what used to be regrets into tools and using those to help other people. So early abstinence, very selfish. Uh, but recovery, very altruistic. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you said the most important thing you've done for your recovery is realizing that in the beginning you needed to focus on you. And then once you had a good foundation or say, say that again, I, I don't think I really. Yeah. My, my thing was realizing that all the things that could be my regrets, all the things that were regrets that haunted me, the times I sat on a ca- on a bathroom countertop with whatever in my hand that I was about to do crying those things made me sick in the beginning thinking about it because I took the time to focus on me and cut everybody else out. I am now able to take those memories. And when people say that they're going through similar things to me, I can say, hey, me too. 
and this is what I did. This may not be what you're also going to do, but let's figure something out together. And that goes back to, uh, you know, I always say, I came to realize that I'm perfectly broken, Yeah. you know, and I am perfectly okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. I had to realize that I'm not all right. Sure. Maybe that's what it is. Really, you know, I'm not all right and I'm perfectly all right with not being all right. In mm-hmm. fact, I realized that I was perfectly normal once I realized that normal doesn't exist, right? Right. But those things that we go through and overcome absolutely give us the tools to help other people. They do. Right? So... Yay, I love that. I love not. I love being able to live without regrets. Yes. And to me, if I can look in the mirror and like the person looking back at me, then I really can't have regrets about anything I've done or anything I've been through because I needed to go through all those things to become who I am today. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things have sucked. You know, I, I know you on a personal level. Um, so I know that you've been in some pretty chaotic relationships and had some other really horrific things that have happened to you over the course of your lifetime. Right. But all of those things had to happen for you to be where you're at today, even though those things hurt. Yes. And sucked. You know, and once again, like you said, that's what you use to help other people. It so is. So is there one thing you do every day that helps you maintain your recovery, besides having Kate wake you up? <laughs> I didn't use names. Yes, Kate wakes me up. No. Um one thing <laughs> Yeah, you did. You said Nancy Hall, so I figured I could say Kate. Everybody knows Nancy Hall. Um one <laughs> One thing I do every day to maintain my recovery, uh, yes, um, a lot of people say one day at a time, and honestly, every day, I can promise, I say I'm not going to use today, but also, I'm going to go ahead and plan that I'm not going to use tomorrow, and I understand that that doesn't work for everybody, and tomorrow, something tragic may happen, but... I have to, that it works for me. I can say I'm not going to use today or tomorrow, and that really helps me look forward. Okay. So speaking of looking forward, what is it that keeps you from going back to those old behaviors? Uh, kind of like I said earlier, I don't, I don't want to clean up again. I don't want to come down again. I don't want to hit bottom again. I was homeless before I went to prison. I I don't like being outside for at all ever. I think for that reason. Um, I'll grow out of that, but I was homeless. I was in an extremely physically abusive relationship, and I was okay with it. I had options of places to go, and I didn't because I wanted to be with my abuser, and that felt normal to me because of God, because of the well, because of the program, because of Blur. I've realized that those things are not normal, they're not safe, and they're not okay, and they were in the moment, and I, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, it sucks the way, I mean, it's one of those amazing things about the human mind mm-hmm. um, that we can basically maintain, uh, find a new homeostasis, a new, a new normal, right. no matter what it is. So those, you know, those women who are in abusive relationships, that becomes your new normal. Right. To the point that I, I know a girl and uh, I was working with her and one day she comes up to me and she's like, yeah, so I punched my boyfriend last night. And I was like, why'd you punch your boyfriend? I thought everything was going fine. And she said, yeah, but I knew eventually he was going to hit me, so I figured I'd hit him first. Sure. And I was like, so did he hit you back? And she was like, no. He looked at me, and he just said, what the heck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, so he screamed at me. And she was like, no. He, he just said it in a, in a normal voice. Like, what are you doing? And I said, you know, you might have a good guy there. You know, she was so used to being in abusive relationships that she knew eventually she was going to get abused in that relationship because it was her normal. 
because of the state of mind I was in when I relapsed with my boss at work, um, that relapse, I mean, it meth changes your brain. I can't, I can't say that enough. So he ended up breaking two of my ribs, puncturing my lung, giving me permanent nerve damage to my right shoulder blade, dislocating my thumb. And when the police would knock on the door, I would answer with blood on my face and my shirt ripped to where my undergarments are exposed and out of breath holding my side. And I would say, go away. And they would say, ma'am, what is going on? And I would say, none of your business, go away. Because I understood the abuse he went through as a child and why he was psychologically doing these things to me. I, I got it. I loved him. He loved me. He lets me stay here, and I'm the one he chooses to beat, so he loves me. Hey, let's go get high, and it'll be better for a few hours. Then you're going to beat me again. I get to now talk to people who are going through that, and because of the state of mind I'm choosing today, I can help them see that that's not okay. I want to keep doing that. So you're so what you're saying is that's what you thought back then mm -hmm. was normal. Right. Oh, he loves me and I love him and I understand. Because yeah. you've gone through abuse, right? Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. Were you abused as a kid? No. No? Okay. Um, but you've gone through abuse. So are you going to abuse the next person you get into a relationship with? No. So like I was abused as a child. I err is probably I'm too soft on my kids. Right. Because I don't ever want to abuse my kids because that's a, a choice I have. Sure. You know, and it's funny how sometimes when we're trapped in that, where we feel like, well, this is what happened to me. So, you know, it's amazing how many times I've talked to somebody uh, who is violent. I'm like, oh, are you violent? Well, it's how I grew up. It's mm. what I know. And I'm like, well, weren't you molested as a kid? Yeah. So are you going to molest your kids? Well, no, I'd never do that. But that's how you grew up. Mm -hmm. So how can you control one and not control the other? Because the truth is, at the end of the day, I think we do have control. Now, it may take a lot of counseling. It may take going through some trauma counseling, like EMDR or something like that. Right. But I do think that we have the ability to work through those things instead of always using them as an excuse. Yep. You know, so for the longest time, in, with my addiction at least, I don't know about yours, I didn't work on those things. So they were always the reason that I went back. Mm -hmm. I'd go a couple weeks and then something traumatic would happen. Something would spark my past trauma and I would go back to using because I never addressed the the base reason that I used, which for me, I always say I didn't have a drug problem. I had a trauma problem and drugs were my solution. Right. You know, so it sounds kind of like maybe you had some traumatic things and that was the reason you were using also. Right. Yeah. It was easier to not feel it anymore than to fix it. I would, my ex-husband would take the kids from me for X amount of time because I was high and that hurt. So I would get high and he would keep the kids from me because while well, I was high and now, I mean, it's amazing the turnaround. I don't hurt for missing my kids anymore because I'm not high. And I mean, I don't get to see them as often as I'd like to. And I feel for those of you who are sober and you still don't get to see your kids, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you. But on my path, I stopped getting high. It was noticed, I get to see my kids more. And it's amazing how just getting clean can make you realize those things. So they talk about the gifts of recovery. What's changed in your life since you stopped using? What have been those gifts of recovery for you? People trust me. Really? It is the wow. coolest thing. Uh, I got sent to the store the other day with the, the credit card for work to get coffee for the building. There is not a day in my past I can remember where that would have been a good idea. <laughs> so it's it's great. I If I ever need to call mom... 
for 20 bucks, mom will send me 100 and I will pay her back, but she knows exactly what I'm going to do with it, and it's not buy drugs. Whenever I have $100 in my hand, I don't want to buy drugs. I don't think about it. That's huge for me. And you said that you're you're seeing your kids again consistently. Yes. Um, right now it's two hours on Wednesdays, four hours every other weekend, but they get to see someone they, they've never known, and they're getting to know me, and I'm getting to know them, and that's... I understand why it needs to be that way, and it, it'll change, but it's good. And you're employed, and you're working in the recovery field, and I know people that look up to you. No. That's kind of a gift of recovery, too, where people are like, well, Lauren has got this figured out, so let's go ask her what she would do. It's weird that people look up to me, and I'm five feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate Touché. that. Yes. <laughs> So if you could travel back in time and talk to yourself the day before you used that very first time, oh, what would you say to yourself? See, here, this is it. I don't know because, of course, I would have loved... The thing is, I would have loved for my kids to have a better upbringing than they did. But when it comes to me and what I did to myself, all of those things help me help people now. And if you wouldn't have made those, if you wouldn't have used, would you have your kids today? Because you had your kids after you started using. Right. So you might not even have those kids if, you know, that's one of the things when I look at this question, I love it when people are like, well, I, I, I would, I would say, you know what, it's going to get really bad, but it'll get better eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying, hey, don't use. But, but I think the reason people wanted this question in there is there's a lot of people that, that have kids. Sure. And they're worried about their kids and they want to know what is that thing that I could say to my kid? What's something that I could say to my kid that might make them stop and think? Yeah. So you work with 12 to 25 year olds. So maybe that that's a better question for you. If somebody has a kid that they are worried might be using or um, that uh, maybe is using or is getting ready to start, what have you found since you've been working with 12 to 25 year olds? How, how have you been able to connect with them? What makes them stop and think? Is there anything you can say to them? I always said I would never, ever work with kids. I would never be able to work with kids. I don't want to because the truth is until you're 25 years old, your frontal lobe is not developed. That is where all of your your responsibility areas, your what makes sense, what may, what doesn't areas, what's what should I do, what should I not areas, those aren't done developing. And I use those terms because that's how I explain it to the kids I work with. But now that I do, I work with kids at work. I go home and I work with adults. I understand why the kids are confused and making bad decisions. So then I go home and I've got people who are doing things and making decisions and I'm like you know better you've been through this you know what's going to happen if you have a child that is using try to understand that they don't understand that is the biggest advice I can give you they don't understand they think they know everything you know plus so much more and you can't convince them otherwise and you have to just meet them where they're at yeah, and that's a rough thing. You know, people are like, well, scare my kids. You're not going to scare your kids straight. It doesn't work. No. It might make for a really interesting show on like A&E, but mm-hmm. it really isn't going to work. It's not. You know, those same kids are out making the same knuckleheaded choices after they get through with their prison tour that they were making before they went on their prison tour. It really is only going to work on the kids that probably didn't need it to begin with. Right. Right? 
it's kind of like uh, treatment, you know, uh, I see parents uh, sending their kids who smoke marijuana to a residential treatment program. Every day. And I'm always like, oh my God, what are you doing? And they're like, what? I'm like, man, send them to a counselor. You know, but if you send them to a residential kid program, they're going to be in there with kids that are shooting heroin and methamphetamine. Absolutely. And your kids are not going to come out better. Your kids are going to come out. More educated on different ways to cope that are unhealthy. Amen. Preach, sister. Yes. You know, for real. So, you know, maybe if you have those kids that are just getting started, sit down and talk to them. Maybe bring in somebody with some lived experience. But no, unfortunately, kids may have to learn the hard way. Right. You know, but show those kids compassion, respect, love. Uh, my favorite question ever is, what happened to you? You know, um, I love that question. What didn't happen to us? Like, not what's wrong with you, <laughs> but what happened to you? You know, what is it that makes you feel like you need to numb and escape? Right. Right? Because for most people, that's what it is. There's a need to numb and escape there, and we need to figure out what that reason is. Sure. You know, because like I said, for most people, the drugs aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. The alcohol is not the problem. It's a solution to a problem a lot of these kids have. Whether it is trauma or maybe, hey, you know what? My life's okay, but I feel so much better when. Right. You know. It's. I mean, I always said, the minute I get high, the greens are greener, the blues are bluer, the birds are louder, and everything's great for a couple hours. And then, I mean, we all know. I tell the kids at work, we do drugs because it feels good. Your counselors aren't going to tell you that. You're... you're Therapists aren't going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that because I'm your peer. We do them because it feels good. Let's talk about what it feels like when we don't do them and how we can get to that feeling without them, and then we can be successful. Yeah, when I go in to speak at schools, I always start off with standing in front of these kids. Um, I always start off with, hi, my name's David. They brought me in to talk to you about drugs. And I want you to know that I love drugs and I love the way drugs make me feel. And then I stop and I pause and I look around and I see these teachers that are like, oh my God, who did we bring in That's here? That's the truth. And then I say, but I hate the person that they turn me into over time. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about. Right. Because honestly, we tell kids drugs are bad. I will tell you the first time I tried drugs <clears throat> and for me, marijuana was the first drug I tried. And mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people who's going to be like, marijuana is a gateway drug because to me, alcohol is the biggest, actually trauma is probably the biggest gateway Absolutely. Drug out there. Um, but uh, I would say alcohol is the one because it impacts your prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. which is what you were talking about earlier. But for me, marijuana was the first thing I tried. And after like the third hit off that joint, for the first time in my life, I stopped thinking about all the abuse right. that I had gone through as a kid. And I felt like I fit in. And the next night I went drinking with the kids and the same group of kids. And I found the same thing with alcohol. The more I drank, the number I became to all of the physical and sexual abuse I'd gone through as a little kid. Right. And I loved that. And I had people that all of a sudden were not judging me mm -hmm. and were accepting me for who I was, where I was, what I was. And I'd never had that before. Right. So, so yeah. And it makes it hard to talk to kids because of that. You know, a lot of times that's where their identity is, their relationship is, their family is. So I think we need to be honest with kids, yes. you know, for sure. So I said, man, many testimony, but man, we're at right about time. So, hmm. Mm. You want to share like a mini testimony of two, three minutes, three to five minutes? We'll go three what to five minutes. What have I not shared? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What have you not shared? I guess that sounds good. So uh, let's pull out one more question. Uh for our listeners today, you know, what's that one thing that you would want them to leave this podcast 
focused on? I never thought it would be me. And how many times have we heard that? It's not going to be me. You think about that with the bad things. I'm not going to drink and drive and get in a wreck and die. I'm not going to be that one that accidentally gets fentanyl and dies. I'm not going to be, you know, fill in the blank. It's not going to be me. I've always said I'm a junkie. I'm an addict. That clean person walking by in heels that smells like heaven on her way to work and works at a desk eight to five, that's not going to be me. I'm going to go back into my bathroom and shoot up some happiness, but it's me. I know what I did to get there. I know the steps it took. I know that I never expected it, but just because you don't expect it doesn't mean it can't happen. And just because you don't know how doesn't mean you won't soon. So reach out. If you're struggling, tell somebody. If you're not struggling, tell somebody. If you feel like you're going to struggle, tell somebody because you're never going to meet one person that doesn't know something that you don't. And it can get better. There is a better life in recovery. There's a better life in recovery. Love that. And there are new beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> well figured out. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're done. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Lauren, Lolo, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate talking to you. Um, actually, this first podcast we've done, but I mean, you're always a delight. I love what you do. I love that you're one of the happiest people I know. Thanks. So it makes it really easy when you're not happy to go, oh, what can I do here? Mm -hmm. um, because life isn't constantly, you know, a problem. Right. You know, I love positive people uh, because I, I, and I find it easier to help positive people because I have other people that are kind of fun suckers. There's always a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I like to have solutions for problems and they, they tend to have problems for every solution. Right. And it makes it sometimes really difficult to work with some of those people. Sure. Whereas when I'm around somebody that is always infectiously happy, anytime they're down, it's like, okay, what can I do to help that person? Mm -hmm. So I love that you're a bright, shining light in, in, in recovery, period, in this community. Oh, and thanks. As she hides her face in her shirt, embarrassed. So <laughs> love you, Lolo. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Um, we will be here next week with a new podcast. Have a great week, y'all. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's the Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you like pop culture? I do. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Andrew. Oh. If you enjoy movies, television, all that kind of stuff, uh, we have a lot of fun on Sif Pop Podcast, part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. So you can come check us out every week. You can listen live or just download it to your podcast feed. Every single week, Aaron breaks down the newest movies that are big in theaters, and I make funny noises. <laughs> you could probably pick one of those that you would like. 
You can join us every weekend live by looking at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA, or you can find us in your podcast player of preference by searching for Sift Pop. 